Good morning. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is Psalm 46, um, but today we will read responsively. Um, I will read the unitalicized verses, um, and you will respond by reading the italicized verses. So in the meantime, please stand up and as we're reading God's word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, into the heart of the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are looking at various psalms and seeing what they show us about processing our emotions through prayer, especially our most painful and challenging emotions. This morning we're looking at anxiety, and anxiety affects all of us. I experience anxiety way more often than I care to admit. But the thing about anxiety is so often we're not even uh, sure why we're anxious. Because anxiety is a form of fear, but it's focused more on what's possible as opposed to what's actual. So let me give you an example. Imagine you're walking down the street and a tiger leaps out at you from behind a big bush. At that moment, you're experiencing pure fear. Because the threat is actual. It's running right at you. You can see it. Now, let's say, for the sake of argument, that you manage to outrun the tiger and find safety. Well done. Here's the question. What's going to happen the next time you walk by that bush? You're going to feel anxiety. Even if a tiger doesn't jump out at you, just the possibility that it could happen, that's anxiety. Now, is that a good emotion? If there are real tigers out there, and they're known to hide behind bushes like that, you would be a fool to ignore that possibility. But there's a difference between being conscious of that possibility and taking appropriate precautions and being controlled or even crushed by that possibility. 
Every single one of us, for some of you, maybe it's just like 20-pound ankle weights dragging you down. For others, maybe it's more like a 100-pound sack on your chest weighing you down. But we all feel anxiety, and anxiety is the fear of what's possible. This is one of the most debilitating emotions we can experience. Now, our goal this morning is actually pretty humble. There's no such thing in this world as becoming a non-anxious presence, but it is possible to become a less anxious presence. There's way more in this psalm we just read than we can talk about this morning, but I want to just meditate on a few of the images in here and see what they show us about becoming a less anxious presence. Becoming a less anxious presence means praying into three things. It means praying into a bigger story, a higher fortress, and a deeper fear. Becoming a less anxious presence means praying into a bigger story, a higher fortress, and a deeper fear. Okay? So first, it means praying into a bigger story. One of the things I love about this psalm is how contemporary it is. So if you look right at the beginning, it says, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The imagery is of global destruction. You know, when I was a kid, the big threat was nuclear annihilation. Today, it's climate change. But the point is, this is something we can actually imagine happening. Or if you look at verse 6, it talks about nations being in an uproar and kingdoms falling. Or verse 9 talks about war and all the weapons of war like bows and spears and shields. So in addition to global destruction, this psalm is talking about... um, political upheaval and military turmoil. These are realities in our world that make us anxious. Uh, I was reading a book a few years ago about our modern world, and the authors at the very beginning, what they did was they did a survey of international students. They, They interviewed university students from different countries all over the world, and they asked them to describe our modern world in just a few short words. Here's some of the responses. One student said, environmentally and politically unsustainable. Another said, an overall increase of vulnerability. Another said, a sense of placelessness, helplessness, restlessness. And another said, we are overwhelmed by outside forces. We experience anxiety because of things that are happening in our world, and social media does not help. It's called digital anxiety. But we're also anxious about all the things that happen in our own lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, places that we feel like we ought to at least have some control in those places, but we don't. In fact, this last statement here actually captures it really well. It says we are overwhelmed by outside forces. That's really a very helpful way of thinking about anxiety, and here's why. Um, There's a difference between stress and anxiety. Stress is the outside forces that weigh down on you. So, for instance, imagine a bridge with different vehicles rolling over the bridge, like a motorcycle, or a pickup truck, or a semi-truck, or a freight train. Those different vehicles are are, um, outside forces that put different levels of stress on the bridge. Now, if it's a really well-made bridge with steel girders and concrete pillars, then its inner resources are able to withstand the stress of those outside forces. But if it's a rickety old bridge made out of rotting wood, you can maybe send the motorcycle across, okay? But 
put the pickup truck across, it's going to crumble. Forget about the freight train. That bridge doesn't have the inner resources to withstand the stress of the outside forces. Do you see the difference here? Stress is the outside forces that weigh upon our life. Anxiety is our inner response to those outside forces. Or we could say it like this. Anxiety is when the outside forces are bigger than your inner resources. Anxiety is when the outside forces are bigger than your inner resources. Now, here's the thing I really want us to see in this first point. This psalm talks about all these different outside forces. Global destruction, political upheaval, military turmoil. And in the middle of all of that stress is verses 4 and 5. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. Now, whenever the Bible talks about the city of God, that's pointing to the main storyline of the whole Bible. There are two kingdoms, two cities at work in this world, the city of God and the city of humanity. And the city of humanity is at war with the city of God. Constant rebellion, uh, nations in uproar, uh, destruction, upheaval, and turmoil. And yet, the, the whole storyline of the Bible is all about God's promise that one day he's going to renew this physical material world and dwell in it forever with his people in the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the last book in the whole Bible, it says that in the middle of that city, there's a river. And the, and the river runs through the middle of the city, and on either side of the river is the tree of life, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Friends, when we pray this psalm, it's a way of praying our lives into that bigger story. It's a way of immersing ourselves in a river that, that leads us and carries us right into the presence of God. Now, here's why this is so important. Our modern Western society also tells a story. It's called the story of progress. And, and that story actually flows out of the biblical story about a God of love who makes all things new. Our modern story of progress wouldn't even exist without the biblical story, but the progress story is a cheap dime store version of that story. Because instead of a story about a God who makes all things new and renews everything in his image and in his power, our story of progress is about human beings who try to remake the world in our image and in our power. Because at the heart of that story is this idea that we must get control over nature. That just feels axiomatic to us. That progress means we get control over the outside forces. Through things like science, technology, medicine, politics, economics. And here's the thing. Those are wonderful things that have brought a lot of benefits to this world. But in that story, the real change agent isn't God. It's human beings. And in that story, God is really nothing more than a consumer option. You're free to believe, you're free not to believe. At the end of the day, it's really all about what works for you. And in our consumer-oriented society, you're the one who decides what works for me. So let's ask the question, how is this story working for us? There is no question that, that human technology 
has brought tremendous benefits to this world. Per capita, we live longer, we're richer, we eat better, we get less sick. I mean, especially if you're investigating faith in Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to invite something. Yes, it's true that human technology in many ways has made this world a better place. And yet, we have never been more anxious, depressed, lonely, addicted, suicidal, or socially fragmented than we are now. The story isn't living up to its promise. It's no wonder we're so anxious. Friends, the, the beginning of freedom from anxiety is that we just start by asking ourselves this question, what story am I living in? Whatever that story is, it's like a river. It carries us along. Praying this prayer is a way of praying your life into a bigger story about a God who is infinitely bigger than all the outside forces that are weighing upon you. And that leads to our next point. We've just seen that becoming a less anxious presence means praying into a bigger story, but secondly means praying into a higher fortress. In the Psalms, um, there are oftentimes verses that get repeated over and over again, like the chorus in a song. We saw this a few weeks ago. In the Bible, whenever something gets repeated, it's a way of saying, this is important. So in this psalm, what is the chorus that gets repeated over and over again? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now that word fortress, the image there is of a fortress that's built high up on a rock, so high up that nothing can reach it. It's untouchable. You know, there is no fortress you can build in this world that is not touchable. Hitler built a fortress high up in the mountains of Germany. He called it the Eagle's Nest. He thought it was untouchable. It was very touchable. I think it's a beer garden today. <laughs> there, there's no fortress in this world that is untouchable except God. The image of a fortress high up and untouchable is inviting us to consider what do we put our ultimate trust in? In fact, this is one of the most important aspects of, of finding freedom from anxiety because it's one of the most crucial aspects of spiritual formation. What is spiritual formation? Robert Mulholland wrote a book some years ago called Invitation to a Journey. It's all about Christian spiritual formation, and I commend it to you. But here's how he defines it. He says spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Jesus for the sake of others. So in this book, he talks about spiritual formation is a process of going deeper and deeper throughout the course of time. So he says that you, when you first become a Christian, one of the first things that happens is you, become, you start dealing with what he calls the less or the more obvious sins. That's, that means no more lying, drinking, or stealing. It means dealing with addictions. It's the more obvious sins in your life. But then there's another level which he says you begin dealing with the less obvious sins in your life. Now, these would be things that, that our culture might even say are perfectly fine, but are inconsistent with following Jesus. Maybe the, the you know, most obvious example in our culture would be sex. Jesus says, if you follow me, you can't just sleep with whoever you want, regardless of what the world says. The, the, the next level is dealing with less obvious sins, but then the level after that is dealing with unconscious sins. That's where God begins to reveal to you things that have always been in your life, but you didn't even know were there. You start to become aware of things in your life you never saw before, like arrogance, or contempt, or selfishness, or self-centeredness, or cowardice, or laziness, or defensiveness. 
God's revealing to you things that were always there, but you didn't see before. But then Robert Mulholland says, there's one more level even deeper than that, and that's where we're identifying our trust structures. Your trust structures are, it's your ultimate love. It's your ultimate security. It's whatever you have in your life, and you say, as long as I have this in my life, then I know I'm okay. Then I know I'm somebody. For you, it might be being seen as a good person. It might be being needed by others. It might be being successful or unique or in the know or in charge or safe or whatever it might be. But whatever it is for you, it's your fortress. So when we feel anxiety, when we get anxious about all the things in our life, what's happening is our trust structures are being threatened. If you build your fortress in anything other than God, it's threatening your trust structure, and you're going to feel anxiety. The only way through that is to find a fortress, to build your fortress in something um, that can't be touched. So, for example, there's a famous old story about a lumberjack who went to a forest to chop down all the trees, but as he got to the forest and he was about to begin, he looked up on one of the trees and he saw a mama bird up there building her nest. And he said, oh no, this is awful. I can't chop down this tree. They'll all die. So he takes the broad side of his axe and he starts banging against the side of the tree, shaking the mama bird. And she's up there going, what in the world is this guy doing shaking my tree like this? So she flies away to some other tree to build her nest there. And the lumberjack says, that's no good. So he goes over to that tree and starts banging on it until she flies away to another tree and he starts banging on that tree. This happens over and over again until finally the mama bird flies away from the forest altogether and builds her nest up in a rock where no one can get to it. Friends, if you build your fortress in anything other than God, it's touchable. And if it's touchable, you will always be anxious. We have to build our fortress in something that can't be touched. When we feel anxiety, when, we, when all those outside forces start weighing down on us, we feel like that mama bird What's shaking my tree so hard? And when we feel anxiety like that, our default nature is we want to blame the outside forces. But what's really happening is those outside forces are threatening our internal trust structures and exposing just how vulnerable and shaky those uh, trust structures really are. We have to build our fortress in something that can't be touched. The only fortress that can't be touched is God. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Dear ones, finding our way free from anxiety means that we have to give up trying to have control over all the outside forces in our life. It means that that we have to um, build our foundation in God who, our fortress in God, who becomes the foundation for our inner resources. If anxiety is when the outside forces are bigger than our inner resources, freedom from anxiety is when our inner resources become bigger than the outside forces. And that leads to our last point. Becoming a less anxious presence means praying into a bigger story, a higher fortress, but lastly, praying into a deeper fear. Now, this one might sound a little weird. You might think to yourself, I don't want to live in fear. And you're telling me I have to get a deeper fear? Yes, but it's the fear of God. In the Bible, whenever it talks about the fear of God, that's not talking about the panicky, soul-crushing, life-sucking fear that we're so familiar with. In the Bible, the fear of God is an experience of awe and wonder. 
It's, it's bowing down in reverence before a power infinitely greater than anything we can comprehend. Now, where do we see that in this psalm? Well, in verse 8, there's an, intr- an invitation. It says, come and see what the Lord has done. There's an invitation to come and see what the Lord has done. What has the Lord done? Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. What kind of an invitation is that? Come and see the desolations God has brought on earth? I mean, desolation means laying waste to something. It means destroying it utterly. So here's the question. What is God desolating? Well, it tells us in the next verse. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. We see that all of a sudden it starts to make sense. The the desolations that God is destroying is war. And all the weapons of war. In other words, God is destroying all the things that destroy. He's desolating the desolations. When you experience anxiety, think about all the outside forces in your life that bring so much stress and fear and anxiety into your life. I mean, the thing is, those forces really do have power to desolate. Disease, poverty, financial ruin, war, oppression. Even less tangible things like social division or social pressure or uncertainty about your future. Those outside forces do have power to desolate. What would it be like to come into the presence of a being that had all power to desolate all the desolations? What would it be like to come into the presence of that being? Remember that tiger that's charging at you? You're standing there paralyzed in fear, but all of a sudden the tiger screeches to a halt with abject terror on its face, turns tail and runs as fast as it can in the opposite direction. And at first you're like, yeah, that's right, you better run. But then you think, wait a minute, and very slowly you turn around and standing right behind you is a lion the size of a house. But instead of opening up its jaws to devour you, it stretches out its paws to enfold you. Are you going to be afraid? Yeah. But this is a very different kind of fear. All those outside forces that seem so powerful to you, all of a sudden, they don't seem so powerful anymore because now you are in the presence of a being that has power to desolate the desolations. You know, the most famous verse in this psalm is verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. The the, the way we normally read that is that God is telling us, hey, have some kind of inner tranquility in your life. Which is right and very true and very possible. And it is part of the point. But almost all of the commentators point out that what's probably going on here is that instead of speaking to us and telling us to um, whip up some kind of internal uh, tranquility, what's, what's very likely happening here is that God is actually talking to all the powers of desolation. He's talking to the war. He's talking to the upheaval and the destruction and the turmoil. He's talking to all of the desolations in this world and he's telling them, be still. And they are. What would it be like to come into the presence of that being? In John, I mean Mark chapter 4, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples and promptly falls asleep. He had a busy day. 
And immediately a powerful storm comes up, so powerful that these lifelong, rugged, experienced fishermen are just quaking in their sandals. They wake Jesus up. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus wakes up and he commands the storm, peace, be still. And it is. Dead quiet. One of those eerie kinds of quiet. What is it like to come into the presence of someone like that? It, it says that the disciples, literally it says that they feared with great fear. And they said, who is this that even wind and sea obey him? Who is this? This Jesus is the God of the universe who commands all the outside forces that terrify us so much. And he commands them, be still. And they are. Jesus desolates the desolations, but the way he did it was by being desolated by them on the cross. Jesus takes all of the anxiety, all of the outside forces that are weighing down upon us, he takes them upon his shoulders and faces them on the cross because Jesus faces all of the forces of, of anxiety that assail us. There is not a fear or anxiety you will ever experience that Jesus hasn't faced infinitely. The night before he was crucified, he went to a garden to pray. And at that moment, all of these outside forces, the darkness of this world, the evil of humanity, and all God's judgment on all the evil and darkness in this world, all of those outside forces started coming down on Jesus. He was, he was under so much stress, the Gospel of Luke tells us, that he was literally smote to the ground, and it says that he was sweating blood, literally, that's not poetic hyperbole. It's an actual medical condition called hematohydrosis. Jesus was literally sweating blood. He was facing all of the anxiety that assails us. Jesus laid waste to the desolations, but the way he did it was by being laid waste by them on the cross. Jesus faced all our anxieties, but he took all of that anxiety, all of that fear upon his shoulders and, and shouldered it for us on the cross. Dear ones, Jesus Christ is the bigger story we live into. He is the, the higher fortress we trust in. He is the, the greater power, the deeper power that we fear in. He did all of that for us so that we could find freedom from anxiety in him. And so the more you um, live into that story, the more you trust in that fortress, the more you fear in that power, the freer you get from anxiety. But that's a terrifying step to take. Because it means giving up control over all the outside forces in your life. It feels like a death. And in many ways, it is. The last book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia is called The Last Battle. And that's because it's all about the last battle for the kingdom of Narnia. And in that book, the last battle takes place on a hill in the middle of a dark night with a bonfire raging. It's a terrifying, bloody, confusing mess. It's, it's, an, it's a scene of utter desolation. But on the top of the hill, in the middle of the battle, is, is a tiny little stable. And in that stable, it's, it's the alleged dwelling place of the evil demon god Tash, whom no one has ever seen. And so as terrifying as this battle they're engaged in is, even more terrifying is this unseen god Tash. Nobody wants to go into the stable and meet this demon god. They're terrified by it. In fact, Tyrion, the king of Narnia, says it's more like a mouth. Nobody wants to go in there. It's like anxiety. They would rather 
fight the actual enemies that they can see outside the stable than face an unseen potential enemy inside the stable. But while Tyrion, King Tyrion, is fighting in the battle, his enemies keep nudging him and edging him closer and closer towards the stable door. And he doesn't want to go in there. He's afraid too. But all of a sudden, he just says, oh, screw it, grabs the guy he's fighting and leaps with both of them through the stable door. And when he gets in there, instead of finding himself in a dark, um, cramped little stable, what, what he finds is he is in the middle of a broad country with an amazing blue sky overhead. It's vaster and more beautiful than anything he's ever seen because it's the home country of Aslan the Lion, the true king of Narnia, who in reality is Jesus Christ. And as he's looking around, he sees all the other past kings and queens of Narnia. They're welcoming him, but he's confused because he can still see the, the stable door standing there in the middle of the country. But then he looks through a couple of planks in the door and he can see that there's still the battle raging on the other side with the bonfire blazing. But then as he walks around the door, he sees it's all open, broad country until finally he gets it. And he says, I see now that the stable scene from within and the stable scene from without are two different places. And one of the other kings of Narnia says, that's right, the inside is bigger than the outside. The inside is bigger than the outside. As long as he was afraid of giving up control over all the other outside forces in his life, his world was a cramped, tiny place. The outside forces were bigger than his <clears throat> inner resources. But as soon as he gave up control, as soon as he leapt through the door and gave up control over all of that, all of a sudden he found out that now he's in Aslan's country, his world got really big. The inside is bigger than the outside. Friends, it's the same thing for us. Giving up control over our lives, leaping through the door, trusting in Jesus is terrifying because it means giving Jesus control over all the forces in our life. It feels like a death because it is, but it's a good death. It means that the inside, all your, you now have something in your life that gives you inner resources that are bigger now than all of the outside forces in your life. Now, let me be really clear about something. I'm not talking about us giving up trying to make the world a better place. This is not talking about us just rolling over in passivity and not fighting against all the forces of evil and injustice in this world. And we will talk about that in a lot more depth when we get to the psalm about praying our anger. So keep coming back. But this morning, for all of us, as you pray this psalm, whether you pray it in the solitude of your own room or whether you pray it with others like we did this morning, I want to encourage you to ask yourself three questions. What story am I living? What fortress am I trusting? What power am I fearing? The more you live into the story of Jesus, trust in the fortress of Jesus, and fear in the power of Jesus, the freer you get from anxiety. The inside is bigger than the outside. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we praise you this morning that there is no force in this world that can withstand you that you are the God of the universe who desolates desolations, who destroys all the things that destroy, who lays waste to all the things that lay waste. And so we praise you this morning and we pray that you would help us to trust in you. It's scary, Father. It's terrifying. 
But our failure to trust in you, Lord, actually leads us deeper into anxiety than further out of it. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to trust more deeply in you, to live our lives into your bigger story, trust in you as our fortress, and fear you as our greatest power, the power that is for us, not against us. And Father, we pray that as we do that, it would send us out in the world with courage and fortitude and boldness, that we would be your instruments and your vessels for your gospel in this world. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.